Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. On our program today, the rollout race. This will be one of the most challenging operational efforts ever undertaken by our country. But you have my word, we will manage the hell out of this operation. As Canada deals with vaccine shortages, U.S. President-elect Joe Biden pledges to vaccinate 50 million people in his first 100 days of office. How will he do it? And will new strains of the virus cause new dangers? We have an exclusive interview today with Dr. Anthony Fauci, the chief medical advisor to President-elect Joe Biden and the leading member of Donald Trump's coronavirus task force. And yes, we will ask him what it was like to work with President Trump who downplayed the severity of the pandemic. And then, delayed doses? Due to work to expand one of the company's manufacturing facilities, deliveries to all countries receiving Pfizer doses made at the European facility will be temporarily reduced. This includes Canada. Pfizer says there will be delays in their vaccine delivery to Canada. Will that slow down Canada's vaccine rollout? Vaccine shortages are now causing some provinces to stretch the time between doses. Will that decrease the efficacy of the vaccine? The procurement minister, Anita Anand, joins us on that. And then Dr. Caroline Quash, the chair of the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, she's in charge of these protocols, joins us to clarify why Canada's protocol is not the same as the United States. And then, high demand. What I would like to see, and I think every premier would agree, is we'd like to see more vaccines as soon as possible because we want to get those vaccines to people. Our province is already running low on vaccine supply and what will the delays mean for them? The Manitoba Premier Brian Pallister joins us to explain that. Plus, the scrum will weigh in on whether long-term care homes need more support and the politics of the lockdowns. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. The Canadian vaccine plan, by the end of March, 3 million Canadians should be vaccinated with the Pfizer and Moderna products. Then in April, there's supposed to be something called the ramp up. But Canada's supply of the precious medicine is way behind other countries, including the United States. President-elect Joe Biden, he's going to be inaugurated this Wednesday, says the U.S. will vaccinate 100 million people in 100 days. Now that would dwarf the Canadian numbers per capita and that explains why some Canadian snowbirds are literally flying down to places like Florida to get a vaccine more quickly. Canada, for example, has vaccinated about 1.3% of the population. The U.S. already 3.5%. Israel's passed 20%. So how did the U.S. get so many doses so fast and can they really get 100 million people done so quickly? With COVID expected to kill 400,000 Americans, what's their plan for the rollout. Let's get new details now. Joining me now is the director of the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the chief medical advisor to President-elect Joe Biden, and one of the leading members of the Trump White House's Coronavirus Task Force. You know him, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Fauci, a pleasure to have you on the program. So President-elect Joe Biden plans, he says, to administer 100 million vaccines in his first 100 days of office. That starts Wednesday. That's 50 million Americans vaccinated. Is that a realistic goal? How is he going to get that done? I believe it is. Uh, the president-elect has put together a plan that when you look at the plan, uh, the uh, relationship and collaboration between the federal government and the local uh, facilities, the states, the cities, and the local areas where the vaccine will be administered, looking at the plan and discussing it with the team, 
I feel that this is an eminently doable goal. Here in Canada, there's a debate about the time between the first and second doses. Manufacturers like Pfizer and Moderna, respectively, have said 21 and 28 days apart. In Canada now, we're actually moving towards uh, 42 days apart, and one province, Quebec, 90 days apart. What's your view in the U.S. as the best time and the safest time between do the, the first and second dose for maximum efficacy? Well, what we've done is that we've made our decisions based on the data that was available through the clinical trials. So let me give you an example. The clinical trial of Moderna, as well as the clinical trial of Pfizer, was done under the following conditions. Individuals got a primary dose, and then for Pfizer, 21 days later, they got the boost. For Moderna, they got a prime, and 28 days later, they got the boost. So the data that we got that showed the 94 to 95% efficacy is based on the data from the science and the evidence that we have. So we don't have any data about what it would mean if you extended it another month or another two months. So I can't argue for or against it, except to say that we're following the science of the evidence that we have. Okay, so uh, you're saying that if you wait another month, 42 days, 50 days, maybe up to 90 days, there's no... You, there's no evidence that would work because that hasn't been tested. Would you then uh, advise a state that's worried about the outbreak and worried about volume, if they said to you, we're going to wait 42 days or 52 days between doses, would you be concerned about safety or the efficacy of the vaccine? I, I certainly would not be concerned about safety, but of course, if you increase the duration between doses, if there would be any effect that would likely be the effect on efficacy. And quite frankly, and in fairness to the Canadian approach, we don't know whether that would be less effective or as effective or more effective because we don't have any data in that regard. Let me ask you another question about people who have already recovered from, from COVID. In your view, are they immune now or can they get it again and should they get the shot? Well. We, are, we certainly are not telling people who've been infected not to get vaccinated. We feel that everyone should get vaccinated. If you were infected, we don't know the duration of the immunity. Uh, we, we could not know it because we're so early into this experience with this outbreak that if a person has been infected and has recovered, they can get vaccinated. The real question is how long should they wait from the time they've recovered from infection to get vaccinated. And there really is a lot of discussion. Should it be 90 days? Should it be 60 days? Should you wait 30 days? Not really any good data about how long one should wait. Let's talk about these mutations we're hearing, Dr. Fauci. Uh, there's a UK strain. There's now, we're hearing about a strain in South Africa and, and one in Brazil. First of all, how worried about these are you? Are you concerned that the Moderna, the Pfizer, and potentially other vaccines might not be effective? And, and if the vaccine rollout, Doc, goes too slowly, could these new strains undermine this whole vaccine rollout that we're doing? Well, I think the, if you go first and go to 40,000 feet and look at the situation that these viruses are RNA viruses, they tend to mutate. The more replication of virus there is, the greater the virus has a chance to mutate. So the easiest way to get things under control is to suppress the replication of virus, which means 
decrease the amount of infections in the community. The original data that came from the UK said that they're fairly certain that these mutations are associated with a greater degree of transmissibility, which indicates the sharp spike that we've seen in the UK, particularly in the southeastern part and in London. They are telling us that it doesn't have any impact on the virulence of the virus, namely it doesn't make the virus more serious in the sense of making you more sick or having you get a greater chance of dying. And thus far, thus far, there doesn't appear to be any impact on the vaccine-induced protection. However, this is something you have to watch very carefully, and we're looking at that ourselves because that's the one thing you want to pay attention to. Does it negatively impact the vaccination effect? We are hearing from colleagues in South Africa that that's a more problematic set of mutations, that already it's showing that it's escaping the protection from certain of the monoclonal antibodies hmm. and even possibly from the vaccine. Given the pre previous experience, would you then uh, tell Joe Biden, the president-elect, look, we don't know a lot about this, but we're worried about mutation. We should close borders to South Africa now. We should close the border to Brazil just to prevent that mutation from possibly entering the country. Would you advise that? Well, first of all, the, the, vac the virus is already in the United States, the UK version. The more we look, the more we see. It isn't the dominant strain, but it's here. We're looking for the South African strain. Once a strain gets into a country, it will spread if it is a strain that has a high degree. So right now, we're not talking about that. Though whenever you're looking at things that are unanticipated, you always consider everything and anything on the table. But I do not see any major serious discussion right now about closing borders. Dr. Fauci, here we're, we're hit, the second wave's hitting hard. You've got uh, our, our most populous province of Ontario under a stay-at-home order, emergency uh, measures. You've got Quebec uh, on a curfew. Uh, I'm looking at the states where you guys are facing closing in on 400,000 deaths. Uh, are, given the nature of this, the slow rollout of the vaccine, are these things like stay-at-home orders, lockdowns, curfews, are the, do, you, do you support those as effective measures to stop the spread of the, of the virus? Well, you know, as you know, as Canada is a very large country, we have a large country, we have 50 states and additional territories, and people tend to do things differently depending upon where they are. So if you have a degree of infection, that you want to shut down a bit. For example, California is going through a very difficult situation with just about being stressed as far as you can with healthcare delivery and personnel, particularly people who are requiring intensive care. So a governor of a state like California might make a decision to shut down in the sense of stay at home to various parts of the state. That is generally a decision that's made at the local level. I would doubt that we would be hearing about a broad federal type of a shutdown. But again, you have to take this on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis and respond appropriately to what the situation is on the ground.
Dr. Fauci, how much, how long do you predict this is going to last? That's the question everyone wants to know. We've got the vaccines. We're not sure when Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca might get approved. How, how long is this darn pandemic going to go on? And and I guess the follow-up question, sir, is once it's done, do we have to get a vaccine year after year from now on against this stuff like the flu? Well, in answer to your your last question. That is going to depend really on the durability of immunity, but also if, in fact, these types of mutations evade the protection of the vaccine. If it does, we may need to, and, and this is certainly a possibility, monitor the evolution of the strains and modify the vaccines accordingly. Uh, in answer to your first question, if we are successful, in getting this under control with a vaccine, which is certainly feasible to do, but it would be dependent on the percentage of the population that gets vaccinated. We've made an estimate, and we can only make an estimate because you have to have years of experience to know what the real percentage is. But the estimate is that if we get 70 to 85% of the population vaccinated, you would create an umbrella or a blanket of herd immunity over a given country, certainly in the United States, we've estimated this, so that by the time we get to the fall or winter, that we likely would be able to achieve some degree of normality because you've mm. got to logistically get all these people vaccinated. And that in and of itself is going to take several months. And by the time the immunity sets in, we're going to be well into and beyond the summer. Last question. Uh, you're working now with President-elect Biden. You've advised him uh, to do new things. But Sir, working with Donald Trump, we all watched it. Uh, I mean, you're a guy that's been awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by George W. Bush, the National Medal of Science, the Time Magazine's Guardian of the Year. But Donald Trump has periodically called you a disaster, threatened to fire you. Uh, how hard was it to work with a president who downplayed the virus, who undermined and so distrust in the scientific evidence as you watch literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Americans die? How difficult was that for you? Well, it, was, it certainly wasn't easy. It would have been better if we had a, a consistent messaging. But that's what you do, you work around. We had a team, the, the White House Coronavirus Task Force, that was focused very, very much like a laser on getting the job done, of getting the message out. So in answer to your question is obvious. It is not easy when you're trying to do that and a president is, is saying things that are, seem to be uh, uh, downplaying your capabilities. To put it mildly. To put it mildly. You always put it mildly. But, uh, sir, I really appreciate your time uh, and, and the work that you've put in to try to control this deadly virus. Thanks for speaking to Canada today, and I appreciate your time, sir. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, coming up next, the Canadian response. Will new delays in the Pfizer vaccine set back the Canadian rollout even further? And are short supplies of the vaccine forcing some provinces to take unproven strategies to stretch the doses. We're joined next by the Federal Procurement Minister, Anita Anand, to find out. Stay right here with Question Period. Deliveries to all countries receiving Pfizer uh, doses made at the European facility will be temporarily reduced. That includes us. I want to be very clear. This does not impact our goal to have uh, sufficient vaccines available by September, by end September, to all Canadians who want one.
Vaccine delays. On Friday, the federal government announced there will be a temporary delay in the Pfizer vaccine shipment, slowing down supplies to Canada. This comes on top of provinces stretching the vaccine protocols on second doses to get the vaccine in more arms. The question is, will that undermine the efficacy of the vaccine? And with new strains of the virus coming from places like South Africa, the UK and Brazil, and new modeling showing that uh, Canada is on track to see 796,000 total COVID cases and about 19,600 deaths by January 24th, how urgent is this? Can Canada ramp up the vaccine program? Let's find out right now. Joining me now is the Minister of Procurement, Anita Nan. Minister, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Let's just start with the shipment delay of Pfizer. Um, uh, we hear now that the impact will be a reduction of 50% of the shipments according to General Fortin. Will this impact the goal of getting 6 million doses and 3 million Canadians vaccinated by the end of March, as you've talked about? Well, thanks for having me on, Evan. It's great to see you. Uh, the disruption will occur over the next four weeks. Uh, the average reduction will be about 50% of expected deliveries. Production will increase in late February and March to offset the impact of the production dip. There will be a minimal impact next week, but the most profound impact will be the week of January 25th. Allocations will begin to scale up again in the first two weeks of February, and we look to be hitting the 4 million Pfizer dose mark by the end of March. That's what the corporation has told us. The March deadline of 6 million or 3 million Canadians vaccinated, that's on track. Uh, so that's still the target. That's still the goal. The delay doesn't affect that. I want to say yes to the question and also to take you back to our original procurement approach back in August when we were signing contracts with seven vaccine manufacturers. We knew that there could be disruptions in the supply chain of the sort that we are seeing today with Pfizer. As a result, we said we cannot put all our eggs in one basket. We must diversify so that we have multiple options on the table for Canadians. Because of these unexpected delays, in retrospect, was it a mistake not to pick up that 16 million uh, extra doses of Moderna that Canada turned down as a hedge against either shipment issues or as a hedge against the fact that we've got new variants of this virus in South Africa, Brazil and the UK that maybe we got to get more people done quickly? Evan, I want to be 100 percent clear. Those 16 million doses would not have arrived prior to the end of September 21. On the other hand, the options that we did exercise, 20 million of Moderna, 20 million of Pfizer, to make us in a position of having 40 million of each supplier will be in place so that we can meet our goal of having all Canadians inoculated by the end of September 2021. Canada won't hit what General Fortan called the ramp-up stage until April. We're frankly way behind the U.S. So what do you tell Canadians who are looking south, some of them are even flying to the U.S. to get the vaccine quicker, and say we're falling behind our supply at the critical months of January, February, March, when the virus is killing people, is just way too small, way too little. What do you tell Canadians? Well, I would like to say that we are on track. Our plan has not changed. This slight dip in production from Pfizer is going to allow us still to remain on track for the end of March. 
and we are planning our ramp up in the spring. That has always been the plan. We will make sure that all Canadians have access to a vaccine who wish to have access to a vaccine. Did Canada pay the maximum premium to try to, try to get as many vaccines as possible at the highest number? I, you and I both know, and you know better than anybody, that there was a tiered pricing that the drug company said, you know, the more you pay, maybe the, the faster you'll get some. Did Canada pay the maximum premium to try to get the maximum number of doses quickly? We put everything on the table when we were negotiating with these vaccine manufacturers, price as well as everything else. And we will make sure that all Canadians have access to a vaccine. We negotiated with Fortitude, and that is the reason why we have the most diverse portfolio of vaccines of any country in the world. Mm -hmm. It's a testament to the fortitude and the strength of right. Canada as a nation at the bargaining table. Uh, again, the reason I don't know is because we haven't seen the contracts. As you know, many states in the U.S. have been transparent about theirs. So has Australia. We haven't. So, of course, I don't know what we paid. But, but I'm not talking about diversity. I'm talking about premium to get them quickly. Here's another question for you. When negotiating for the vaccines, did the drug companies simply say, uh, Canada, you've got to prove you can distribute these drugs quickly. And if you can't, we're not going to give you more doses. Was proof of the ability to distribute impactful on the amount of doses Canada receives? There was not a causal relationship between those two items, Evan, but I will say that uh, we, Minister Haidu and I, assured Pfizer, Moderna and other vaccine companies that we do have a rollout plan in place and that we are working collaboratively with the provinces and territories to ensure that vaccines can get into the arms of Canadians. And it was based upon that assurance uh, that we were able to secure early doses of Moderna and Pfizer for Canadians. The scarcity issue, and the provinces are saying it, the provinces are saying we need more supplies, we need more supplies more quickly, but they're forcing provinces to experiment with off-label protocols. In other words, not following Pfizer and Moderna protocols of waiting between 21 and 28 days between doses, Canada is now advising 42 days. Quebec is talking about up to 90 days. Uh, this is clearly, there's, Dr. Fauci said there's no data to support that from the drug companies. Could the fact that Canada is changing the protocol of the vaccination impact your ability to get more supplies from these companies? Will they be hesitant to give Canada more supplies if we are mucking around because of scarcity with the protocols? That has not directly impacted our deliveries to date, but it has been a concern that vaccine corporations have raised with us in our discussions. That is that their vaccines and the protocols are based on the clinical data that they found from their clinical trials and that's what their recommendations are. Have they particularly pressed about, what about 90 days? That's, Quebec's waiting up to 90 days. Uh, is that within some, is that a concern for you now as you're desperately trying to get more doses for Canada that the drug companies are gonna push back? The drug companies have mentioned this in our negotiations, but the fact that there is some other recommendations coming forward in Canada and other practices have not to date impacted our deliveries or our procurements, but it is still a recommendation from the manufacturers that we are hearing at the table. Uh, Minister Anita Nand, always a pleasure to have you on the program. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Evan. Take good care. All right, coming up on the program, will vaccine delays slow down the rollout in some provinces? The Manitoba Premier Brian Pallister joins us with his view on all that. Stay right here with Question Period.
anytime we get more vaccine, it's good news. And anytime we hear we're getting less, uh, it's not good news because it delays people getting vaccine in BC. So uh, we're, what it really will affect is the February into the early part of March period. So when will you get the shot? That is the big question of 2021. Most Canadians are going to have to wait to get vaccinated against COVID-19 until, well, April, May, during the ramp up and then deep into the summer. The provinces are in charge of the rollout, but now that the federal government has announced a delay with the Pfizer vaccine, will that change the rollout schedule? Will you have to wait longer? To talk about that and other issues, we're joined by the Manitoba Premier, Brian Pallister. Premier Pallister, great to have you on the program. Um, there's a delay now you've heard from the federal government in the Pfizer delivery. At one point, it's going to drop by about 50%. Does that uh, slow down the provincial rollout of what your expected vaccination date goals will be? Well, just to be clear, Evan, we have the capacity to get everybody vaccinated, but this all depends on the flow of vaccines, of course. And uh, with the, the current projected federal flows, we'll be like everybody else in Manitoba. We'll be waiting till fall to get everything done or maybe later. Uh, we have taken a position here that we're holding back for the second dose. We've done that because that's the recommendations uh, the manufacturers have made that we have to be able to get that second vaccine in arms in about three weeks, three and a half weeks. And with the Pfizer disruption, I think it validates our approach here in Manitoba that says, let's be sure we do this right. Uh, don't go for short-term uh, big stats, go for effective uh, vaccinations. And so uh, our plan is uh, not disrupted as of yet. We haven't had to cancel appointments because of the disrupted delivery of the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, because we've uh, structured our plan uh, to get uh, the second vaccine out in the time recommended by the national uh, vaccine uh, advisors. Okay, Th that's interesting, Priva, because you've got other uh, provinces like Quebec. They're so desperate, they're going to actually give everybody that first dose, and they're going to wait between 40 and 90 days for the second dose. So you're saying, uh-oh, this Pfizer delay kind of says that's a high-risk high risk approach. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying every province is not in the same position, and I'm not here to judge, uh, you know, Premier Legault's strategy. But here in Manitoba, we're trying to put a protective uh, ring around some of our most vulnerable people, our, our frontline workers first, and those who protect our most vulnerable seniors in our seniors' uh, homes, our personal care homes. And so we don't want to uh, do anything but provide that protection the best we possibly can. And that means making sure that that second vaccine is given to those folks when they need it and when it is, uh, according to the manufacturers, the most effective time. Uh, there's been a blame game been going on, Premier, between the, uh, the provinces and the federal <clears throat> government. You know, the federal government saying, we're giving you guys as much as you can need on the supply, but there's, you know, we've got doses sitting in freezers. The, pre the provinces have said, no, we don't. We don't have, we're actually running low. I know you're holding back doses in, in Manitoba, but are, are, are you or other provinces facing a supply shortage? Well, every, every province is. Let's be frank, uh, and this, this, we're all on Team Canada here, but we're, you know, uh, way down the ranking of nations in terms of the amount of vaccines we're getting uh, for our size. We all know this, uh, but that's not to point fingers. The feds are doing the best they can to get these vaccines out in a scheduled manner. Uh, we're all running, uh, you know, brand new companies to give vaccines that have never been established before. We've got personnel management issues, logistical challenges, all kinds of, you know, blizzard today in Manitoba that's going to disrupt travel. There's all kinds of challenges. 
the fact is, we'll get through these hiccups together, and we need to keep working together because the results we need are in the arms of Canadians. There's fear of a new strain. Uh, the UK strains come across the ocean, as you know, but now there's concerns about a Brazilian new strain and there's a South African new strain. Uh, are, is your medical community and are you prepping for a new strain that could make this either more contagious uh, and more dangerous? Yeah, we're, you know, I guess the adage that you, you've used, I suppose, and we hear is that you're, you know, hoping for the best, but you're always preparing for the worst. And in our situation here in Manitoba, we got the worst. We really didn't get a significant first wave, but we got double whacked in about uh, the end of October into November. We've just now started to bend that curve down. We're excited about that progress, but we're all in this together in this country, and uh, it concerns all of us when we see... Uh, you know, the proliferation of new, uh, of new cases across the country and other jurisdictions. Uh, the issues, of course, of new strains are going to put, well, they'll put added strain on our healthcare system yeah. if they get here. And so we've all got to be cautious and we have to realize these, these restrictions are there for a reason. And we have to change our habits. Premier Palliser, i got to leave it there uh, today. Great to have you back on the program. Thank you. My pleasure, Evan. Thanks again. All right, coming up, the great vaccine debate. How long is it okay to wait between doses? The U.S. says, follow the drug company's advice. Canada says, go your own way. Who's right? We'll talk about that next with Dr. Caroline Quash, the chair of the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. Stay right here with Question Period. Efficacy of the vaccine should be the same up to 42 days. After 42 days, we really don't know. There's no, no data there. So if uh, provincial or territorial vaccination programs make the decision to consciously go beyond 42 days, I think it'd be very important, and they understand this, to actually collect data, to actually monitor the populations, to see what the overall effectiveness is of, of the vaccine in the vaccinated populations. Call the great second dose debate. With COVID vaccines in desperately short supply in Canada and the second wave ravaging parts of the country, provinces are facing a hard question when to give the second dose of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. More shots in more arms, but with less immunity, or fewer shots in fewer arms, but with more immunity. The science is conflicted. Now, Pfizer and Moderna advise that the second doses should be given 21 and 28 days after the first doses, respectively. Now, Manitoba is following that advice, as is the United States, as Dr. Fauci told us earlier in the program. But Quebec, which is facing a massive outbreak, says it might wait up to 90 days before giving a second dose. Is that effective? Well, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization says the maximum time between shots should be 42 days. But Canada's COVID-19 task force says no, follow the company's protocols. So who should you believe? the chief medical advisor to President-elect Donald uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, or the Canadian version? Well, let's bring in the scrum to dig into all this. Joyce Napier, CTV's uh, Ottawa News uh, Bureau Chief. Robert Benzie is the Toronto Star's Queen's Park Bureau Chief. And our special guest this round is Dr. Caroline Quash. Now, she is the chair of the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. So they're in charge of all this stuff. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, Dr. Quash, I got to start with you, obviously, because a report from your group, NASI, says provinces can accelerate the number of people being vaccinated by delaying the second dose for up to 42 days. Quebec, as I said, is 90 days. Dr. Fauci told us there's no data to support that. So who should we believe here? What is effective? So we, there are a lot of things we don't know. What we know, however, is that in the phase two trials from both Moderna and Pfizer, 
participants got their second dose between 21 or 28 days, but depending on the products, but up to 42 days. So the actual vaccine efficacy that are reported in those trials are covering a span from 21 to 42 days. It's impossible to say if people who got their second dose at 42 days are protected better, less, or worse than the ones that got it before, just because the companies have not provided stratified um, data or stratified efficacy based on the interval of time between the first and the second dose. However, we know that for most programs uh, given to adults, when you have more, when you need more than one dose, it is possible to give the two doses too close together because then it doesn't work. But at this point in time, there's no um, vaccines for which too long is is too long. So we think that delaying for a couple of weeks, um, taking into account the number of doses available, the the population that um, you need to vaccinate quickly. Um, and ethics, you know, to, to, and equity to say we need to try and vaccinate as many people as possible, we could extend it up to 42 days. And that, that's what Nasi said. So, you know, preferably give that second dose within those 42 days. Robert Benji, let me just go to you because this is all about shortage of supplies, right? Um, now you got Anita Nan telling the country and the prime minister that there's going to be a temporary delay in Pfizer. Canadians are looking over the border at uh, President-elect promising to vaccinate 50 million people in the first 100 days of the Biden administration. What do you make of all these hard decisions Canadians have to make and, and their leaders with all this scarcity? Uh, exactly, Evan. There's a lot of pressure on our politicians, uh, politicians on both sides of the Atlantic, frankly, and especially here in Canada when we're looking to the south. We've got an incoming president, Joe Biden, with a very ambitious 100 million shots in 100 days. And meanwhile, you know, in, here in Ontario, you've got people saying, well, we have only had, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people vaccinated, you know, a couple hundred thousand uh, by the time, uh, you know, Joe Biden becomes president officially next week. And that's that's going to put a lot of pressure on people like Premier Doug Ford and on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to uh, to push it out even further. So I understand why Quebec is musing about, you know, extending to almost 90 days. But on this kind of thing, with so many unknowns, you probably do want to stick with the science. It's, it's not about politics. It's about science. Yeah, Joyce. And man, we're in the middle of a blame game. Province is saying we're about to run out, although we haven't seen them actually run out. The federal government says, no, we've got as much supply as you'll need. Although now there's a temporary delay. Uh, how, how, what are the politics of this in the middle of this massive blame game? What it seems like and what it looks like is that fast will trump best. And I think that that will do nothing to make people feel a little bit more secure and a little bit safer. Uh, what do you mean 90 days? We were told 21 days just a few weeks ago. Then we're told 28. Now we're told 42. And 90 days? So what is it? Do we know that they will be as effective? Or do we think they'll be that effective? If this is all a matter of trust, um, all the restrictions are a matter of trust. Trust us, we're telling you to follow these restrictions. Trust us, we're telling you these vaccines are effective. If these debates last right. too long and we're still into thinking that it, this is better, I don't think it's going to increase the trust out there. And at this point, trust is important. Yeah, and, and it, partly because there's no national consistency, uh, Dr. Quash, between every province seems to have a different protocol. That adds to the confusion. And I'm happy for you to respond to that. But I just want to also ask you, are you concerned now about the speed of Canada's rollout with a UK variant, a South African variant, now a Brazilian uh, uh, mutation of the virus that could make it more contagious? Does that uh, 
change your calculation in terms of the, either the effectiveness or the speed at which these vaccines should get out? Well, first, yes, of course, it is uh, worrisome. I think that in terms of effectiveness, again, so far, the, the, the data seem to show that for the, the UK variant, the, va the vaccines are still um, uh, functional. For the Brazilian variant, people are still looking into it. The problem, and I agree with what Joyce is saying, we would like to tell you we have hard evidence. But things are moving so quickly. There is something to be said about, you know, you want to be able to protect your population as best as you can. This is not the first time that a advisory committee makes an off-label recommendation. And you will see that way more in Canada than in the U.S. The U.S. are not open to off-label recommendations. They are going to make the FDA change the indication, which is not what we do here. And so for HPV vaccines, for Hep A vaccines, for Hep B vaccines, there's been other um, programs where we had to modify the, the schedule because of various considerations, including epidemiology, including shortages. Um, because what can you say? I mean, if we had enough doses to vaccinate all the high-risk groups right away with the two doses, we would stick to label. But at one point in time, if you have to choose between um, vaccinating only a small proportion of your population and let the variant spread like very quickly, um, there, there's no gain, health gains here. Guys, I got to leave it there. Uh, Joyce Napier, uh, Robert Benzie, and Dr. Caroline Quash, and also Dr. Quash, always thank you for your work. Great discussion, very informative. We're trying to help Canadians understand this. Coming up next on the show, more COVID confusion. The Ontario government orders people to stay home, but as you just heard, still unclear what people can and can't do. Will the new public health measures be enough to calm the COVID tide? The Scrum is back next, and our guest will be the Ontario NDP leader, Andrea Horvath. Stay right here with Question Period. I hear there's a little bit of confusion on the order and everything. There is no confusion. I hear some elected officials, uh, local ones and other ones, oh, it's confused. Folks, there is no confusion here. It's very simple. Stay home. Stay home. That's it. If you're questioning, should I go out? You got the answer. Stay home. Stay at home. Seems simple, right? That's the Ontario government's order to residents as it tries to control the record surge of COVID cases. But the rules as to what people can and can't do still remain unclear. Stay at home unless it's for essential outings like healthcare or grocery shopping or outdoor exercise or traveling to work. But what is essential? Even the government can't seem to define that. Are small businesses facing harsher restrictions than big box stores? Is all this enough to control the virus? After all, Ontario is still predicting that the second wave will kill more people in long-term care homes than in the first wave. So why not do more to protect those people living there? Why no movement on things like sick leave? We did ask the Premier of Ontario and his senior ministers to join us to talk about that. None were made available. But let's bring in the scrum to dig into this and the situation in Quebec. Tonda McCharles is a senior reporter for the Toronto Star here in Ottawa. Colin DeMello is the CTV Queen's Park Bureau Chief in Toronto. And our special guest for this round is the leader of Ontario's official opposition, NDP leader Andrea Horvath. Good morning to everyone. Andrea Horvath, i got to start with you. And I want to focus on long-term care um, because Ontario said all residents in long-term care homes will now be vaccinated by February 15th. Is that enough to stop what is expected to be another tragic series of deaths? 
No, Evan, and, and in fact, it's horrifying to hear the premier say that he's okay with watching, you know, potentially hundreds of more people die in long-term care over the next month or so. Uh, and that's over and above the people who are already suffering so terribly with things like lack of food, lack of nourishment, lack of water. Uh, those homes have been in crisis for some time now. And, you know, I, I was shocked to hear the Minister of Health suggest that the new iron ring around long-term care is in fact the vaccine. So what does that mean uh, from, you know, March of last year when they forgot to include long-term care in their pandemic response planning? Uh, they've been sitting back and waiting and watching seniors die for 10 months uh, until the vaccine came because there certainly was no iron ring. It's a humanitarian crisis right now. Uh, and to suggest that we're just going to sit back uh, and not invest in the resources needed to shore up long-term care uh, is just—it's tragic, and it's—it's uh, just—it's un—it's unfathomable that that's the government's plan. It's interesting on that. And by the way, the the prime minister did offer the military to come back to long-term care home and homes, and and the, the premier of Ontario first said, "Yeah, he'd take it." Then they rejected it. But let me move to Colin DeMello. So you've got long-term care homes; uh, they're very vulnerable. Then you've got small businesses saying we are facing much harsher restrictions than the big box stores. How is that playing out in your province? Yeah, listen, a lot of them, Evan, are simply going to be on their last legs here because they've been closed for so long and they've been curtailed for so long. And this really is a bit of an inequity here because even with this new stay at home order, you know, big box stores are being told you can open up from your regular hours from seven o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, all the way until 11 o'clock at night, if you so choose, even 24 seven. But those small business retailers are being limited to 8 p.m. and they can't even, you know, do drop offs after that time. So it really is going to be very challenging for them to operate and thrive in this environment. And I think what they're feeling is, you know, this is typically a government, a progressive conservative government that would champion small business and instead a lot of those small businesses kind of feel like the government may be turning their back on them and they can't really figure out why because big box capacity limits are so much larger than what you would have in a small retailer. Yeah, and then the premier said, oh, we're going to help them out. We've got a new business portal. They announced uh, months ago, but it's going to open soon for up to $20,000 grants, but small businesses say that's not enough. And then, Tonda, there's the question of enforcement. And, and this is for Quebec and uh, Ontario. Both provinces, the, the curfew and the stay-at-home order in Ontario, rely on the discretion of police to interpret what's essential, but the rules are hazy. How, how do they strike a balance, Tonda, to make sure the rules have teeth and there's some enforcement so people actually do what they're supposed to do, but they don't want to start cracking down on families like a police state? How do they walk that line? I think the challenge for both the enforcement on both sides in these provinces and across the, the country, really, is to strike a balance that doesn't actually further stigmatize um, communities that are already hardest hit. You know, a lot of the essential workers are from racialized communities. They don't have a choice. They don't have, many of them don't have access to sick leave, for example, in Ontario, and they feel forced to go out. So look, these, this is all a very uh, delicate balancing act. And I think that because the second wave is rising again, we've gotten more frightening numbers for, out of the modeling on Friday from the federal government, that uh, it's something that not just the political leaders and the police are taking seriously, but the public has to take seriously. Yeah, the numbers are frightening. Tanya mentioned uh, sick leave, um, and, and there's both. This is a federal and a provincial issue, Andrew Horvath. You got Jagmeet Singh, who I spoke to, the, the federal NDP leader, saying 
all federally regulated uh, industries ought to have paid sick leave. I know there's already a, a small amount. There's the sick leave benefit that they'll be uh, fixing up, but but there is no sick leave in the province. Is that something that you would have liked to see, Andrea Horvath? Certainly, during this pandemic, uh, it's just uh, it's just unbelievable that, that that Mr. Ford doesn't seem to get this uh, get this concept, even though experts, particularly in, in public health. Uh, have been clamoring, uh, as have advocates for, for, for workers, particularly low-income, precarious and uh, racialized workers, uh, for the sick days to be implemented. And the federal program, you know what, fine, there's a federal program, but you have to qualify, you have to apply, you have to then wait for a check to come in, and it's and in some cases going to be far, far less uh, than uh, what you would normally be earning. All of this, uh, when you could have just paid sick days that, that as of right automatically cover you off so you don't have to be in an untenable situation. Do I go to work even though I'm feeling kind of funny uh, or do I, you know, do I stay home and risk not being able to cover the bills? Uh, well, some provinces, Colin, don't want paid sick leave and some businesses don't want that. But so that's one issue. It's probably not going to happen quickly. It's certainly not in time uh, for this wave. In the meantime, the wave's hitting. And can you just give us a picture? Because the modeling out of Ontario and now out of the federal government is that um, things could get so bad that by February, right around the corner, hospital ICUs could be overwhelmed. In other words, the whole system, and already it's happening, you're seeing hospitals shifting patients around. How close is the system right now to the tipping point? Well, hospitals are already being told, Evan, to start preparing for a triage model in critical care. Uh, right from the beginning of this pandemic, there's been an ethical framework in case we got to this point, but it really hasn't been applied. But now here we are in the second wave, ICU capacity is threatening to be overwhelmed and hospitals are being told, you know, you're going to have to make a very difficult determination as to who gets a ventilator, who does not, who gets critical care and who does not. And this province is not relying on the military for assistance in long-term care, but they are going to be in the military to set up field hospitals in this province uh, to give hospitals a little bit of a release valve so that they can move recovering patients to there. I mean, it is a sign that things here are spinning wildly out of control and we don't know when or even if by February we're going to see that, you know, that turnaround that the Premier is really hoping these new measures will be able to bring to the province. All right, got to leave it there. Uh, Colin DeMello, Tony McCharles, Andrea Horvath, great to have all of you on the program. And that is question period for this week. Thanks so much for watching. Take care. I know this is a difficult time. We will be back here in seven short days and I will see you back on Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern on CTV's Power Play. Take care.